Hi, my name is Peter Yang, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis. My guest this week is Peter Yang, who is a senior product manager at Reddit, focusing on their talk application. If you've ever used chat room or any other sort of social audio experience, you've used something in the field that Peter is working in. But what made me want to talk to him today in particular was that throughout his entire career at places such as uh, Twitch and, and at Reddit, etc., he's always built products that put community and creators at the heart. And the lessons that he's learned in that career, he shares very generously on Twitter, in a book he's written, on his blog, in a newsletter that he sends, as well as, as online courses that he teaches. So it felt like a great opportunity to pick his brains and try and sort of distill some of the lessons and the learnings that he's developed over a career of making these, these community-focused and creator-focused products and bring it to all of you through this podcast. So hopefully you enjoy if you like what you hear today, please follow Peter. You can find uh, him on Twitter. You can find his, his blog on Substack. He, he's got a lot of really interesting insights uh, worthy of your time and your attention. And without further ado, let's jump in. Okay, well, Peter, uh, great to uh, have you on the podcast. Great to sort of re-meet. We had a little, a little chat some weeks ago. And then we had the quiet period of the summer, but it, uh, I've been really looking forward to this interview. So thank you so much for, uh, thank you so, so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, Ben, uh, it's, it's definitely a pleasure to get to know you and thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. So I, uh, read your, your blog. Um, I follow you on Twitter. So I've got a decent sense of sort of what you care about, but for the people who might be listening who don't, could you start with just the basic introduction, sort of who you are, a little bit about your background, uh, your career, and the, the kind of stuff that gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your, what's your main focus? Yeah, I, I think right now I am a product lead at Reddit. I, I work on Reddit Talk, which is mm -hmm. Reddit's live audio product. Yeah. And before that, you know, I worked uh, at different social media companies from Twitch to Facebook and a bunch of other companies. And I think, you know, for me, there's different kinds of PMs, but for me, I really value building products with customers and mm -hmm. really taking time to care about the craft and ship a delightful experience. Okay. Yeah. Now you say PM and you spent your whole career as a PM in very, various levels of seniority, it seems like. Um, I still get people occasionally who mix, who, you know, they don't necessarily use the same definition of PM that maybe you might use. Um, there's some yeah. people I think who still interchange project management and product management. Can you talk a little bit about your definition of a PM? What is a PM in the, in the modern world of sort of software development? Yeah. So PM, uh, you know, it stands for product management. And, uh, my definition is, you know, the goal of a PM at the end of the day is to solve a customer problem. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think. You know, that's super important and that's like the foundation of being a PM. But lately I've been thinking about, hey, not only should you solve a customer problem, but you should also think about how your product makes the customer feel. And okay. I kind of learned this from uh, Rahul, who is the co-founder of Superhuman. Okay. But, you know, when people play a game, they don't really have a burning problem in mind. They just want to be entertained. They want to feel joy, surprise, right. and delight. 
So the PM's goal is to solve a customer problem, make the customer feel, <laughs> feel, feel whatever emotion you want them to feel. And to achieve that, you kind of have to grow a metric. You got to work well with your team. But again, at the end of the day, you're there to serve the customer. Okay, cool. Yeah. And the team that you work with, it's generally pretty engineer heavy, I, I would assume, but, but still multidisciplinary. That, is that right? I mean, you're, you're going to have probably UI yeah. designers or designers. You're probably going to have marketing. You're going to have a variety of different sort of voices at the table who are all working together in that effort to, as you say, solve a customer problem or make the customer feel a particular thing. Yeah. So the way I think about it is like there's different circles. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at the core, you have this like three-legged stool, which is PM, the, the engineers, and the, the designer. And like, mm-hmm. you know, faster iteration through that, like, you know, helps you build good products. But there's a whole wide variety of cross-functional people, uh, legal, um, you know, marketing, uh, there's a whole whole bunch of people that also support the product. Sure. And then the final circle, and, and most PMs don't leverage this, but the final circle is that you should actually make the customers part of your team too. Just like yeah. talk to them every day, make them feel invested in the product Absolutely. they're trying to go for. Them. Absolutely. Yeah. And this seems to be a pretty important point for you. And I, and I think we'll probably get back many times to this idea of the customer or the community yeah. uh, throughout this interview. But before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit more about um, sort of what you do because you're obviously you're you're an employee. You've worked at these sort of cool companies, you know, Twitch and Reddit and that kind of thing. But you also invest quite a fair amount of energy in sharing, right? So you you, you tweet your yeah. thoughts a lot. You you write quite actively in terms of you know sharing your thoughts on your blog and whatnot, your Substack. You've written a book. <laughs> so like, what mm. motivated this? What was the why did you decide that this was something you wanted to do? And I guess sort of how long have you been doing it? And I don't know, sort of what's your uh, relationship yeah. with sharing your knowledge externally to your companies? Yeah. So, you know, I, I was a typical Asian kid growing up, right? Like I, yeah. I spent my life collecting different credentials and seeking permission to do things, you know, mm-hmm. like <laughs> permission to go to a good, good college, to get good grades, get a job at a top tech company. And, you know, I, I think I kind of had this moment a year or two ago where I decided, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I, I can still work at cool companies, but I should prove my worth directly in the eyes of the customer in the market. And, and okay. the best way to do that is to kind of share, share my ideas and just share my knowledge with the world. Right. And also learning public, like there's a lot of things that I actually mm-hmm. don't know about and just like learning in public uh, and bringing people along the journey has, has kind of made a huge difference in my life um, through, okay. through kind of my blog and through Twitter I met a lot of amazing people, like people that um, I never thought would follow me and follow me and like, mm-hmm. you know, like my thoughts and humor. And it, it's been really, um, it's definitely been a confidence boost, but it's also been really amazing. in just kind of like uh, learning in the world. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I, I like the, I like the point about growing up needing permission to do things and then sort of suddenly deciding that maybe you were asking the wrong people for permission. That <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. You now have you now have the entire internet giving you permission to share your thoughts with them. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So we we talked about customer, and if I look at the companies that you've worked at, and if I looked at the products that you've worked on, you know that social element, the the idea that if I'm using this product, I'm probably not 
working in isolation. I'm probably not benefiting or enjoying that product in isolation. I'm probably Mm -hmm. enjoying that product in some sort of group dynamic, whether it be Twitch or, you know, Reddit, you know, your, your social audio pl- you know, program or, or what have you, right? The, the, the mm-hmm. social component is at the core of, I think, most of your career. So I guess, you know, you've talked about wh- how you put, you, you believe so strongly in putting the customer first. What about online communities or social experiences has made them you know, the center of your career? Why is it, what is it about them that keeps on bringing you back over and over again, regardless of what company you're working at? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, whenever I kind of worked on something that's kind of a little bit far from social and community, I, I kind of just like <laughs> become not interested. So <laughs> I, I think I think to answer that question, I mean, let's kind of first define what a community is, right? Please. I, I mean, to me, to me, a community is just a group of people who mm-hmm. have a common goal uh, you know, they have a common identity and they have maybe common language. So like, for example, Wall Street Bets, right? Like wh- mm-hmm. why is it such a thriving community? Earlier this year, they had a common goal to basically defeat the hedge funds, make them go bankrupt. <laughs> and yep. then their identity was basically... <laughs> quite a goal. <laughs> yeah, quite a goal, right? And then, and then people in the subreddit, their identity was they, they, t- they took pride in making these like crazy bets and risk yeah. losing tons of money. So like that was a yeah. common identity. And obviously they have a common language around diamond hands, uh, 10Ds and so on, right? Yeah, stocks, yeah. So, and, and you know, we, we kind of saw how Wall Street Bet changed the world yes, just by absolutely. doing this. So and I like, I, I think, can I just say, I like the fact that you yeah. said that, that it changed the world. I feel like so many people yeah. are hesitant to acknowledge how these things that felt faddish at the time, because it came and it went, right? I mean, people aren't yeah. talking about Wall Street bets today in the same way that they were, you know, in February and March. It's not the it's not the cover of you know Time magazine the way it was then, but it absolutely changed the world, even if we don't see it so front and center anymore. And I think there are lots of examples of that. So I'm I'm, I'm glad you use that word, those words. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and and yeah, I I think. Um... Community is like so powerful. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a hot trend right now. Everyone's talking about community, but you know, there's an old saying of, you know, if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Mm-hmm. And I think community is kind of, um, help people feel a sense of belonging and kind of get like changed world together. So products that enable community is like what I'm really passionate about. Did you grow up deeply engaged in any community? Like I was a big MMO nerd. You know, and it started with the yeah. original Diablo 2, which wasn't really a full MMO. But but then we went to Ultima Online and I was like a big Ultima Online nerd and a big EverQuest nerd and a big Dark Age of Camelot and Shadowbane. Like, mm. like all of those, you know, sort of early subscription fantasy MMOs were, were my life for like eight years. Um, and yeah. so I had this deep-rooted engagement in community and community development and how that was such a critical part of my pastime and my my growth as a as an individual and i'm wondering do you have any did you have any similar stories of sort of community being really yeah. instrumental yeah i mean i i already got into world of warcraft in college and uh, i remember like my, my real life friends were like hey why, why is peter like in his room all the time <laughs> you know, it's like 2 a.m. Like, what, what, why is there like weird sounds coming out of his room? That's right. And, I mean, <laughs> <In there. laughs> you know, right. And, and the reality is, I mean, 
I had friends in real life, but I also have my guild in World of Warcraft and like, exactly. I was like, you know, fight, fighting dragons and stuff. With, with That's them. right. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I think that game, like all MMOs were like way ahead of their time. Like people talk about yeah. the metaverse now, like basically, you know, it kind of existed yeah. in these games. Yeah. And Pro- um, proto metaverses. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was probably the beginning, I think. And didn't do a favor on, on my grades, but you know, it was definitely a good experience. Yeah. Yeah. You got a different <laughs> yeah. type of education playing those games. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So whether we talk about a, a video game community, World of Warcraft, or a, uh, I guess, a, a viewership community like Twitch mm. or, a, a, I don't know, a, an anything community like Reddit, mm-hmm. are there commonalities that bind them all together? Is there, is there a universal definition of a healthy community versus a toxic community, regardless of the platform? Is there anything that's been the same mm. in every project that you've worked on uh, when it comes to online and social and community? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I think I go back to the framework of, you know, great communities, thriving communities usually have a common goal, identity, and language. Okay. And I think when it comes to toxic communities, I mean, the goal could be toxic, right? Like the goal could be like, you know, hey, let us all form a community and go after this public figure or creator. Mm-hmm. So, you know, on a platform like Reddit, it's generally like very free speech, but there needs to be like basic rules in place mm-hmm. to kind of, you know, yeah, not like not let malicious communities thrive. And um, I mean, I, I think the, the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is that you can also measure what is a thriving community based on metrics. You can measure it based on, you know, how many they use, how many daily active users it has, how many people actually engage in the community, they comment or they make posts. Uh, and then, you know, what's the retention of the community? Uh, and mm-hmm. you can also measure it based on like negative metrics, like how many user reports the community gets and so on. Um, but I think, you know, at, at larger companies, PMs and product builders tend to over-index on metrics. Yeah. You, you kind of have to balance the metrics with, um, just like a qualitative assessment of like what is going on in the community. Okay. So like the qualities, as, as I become more experienced as a PM, I, I tend to care more about the qualitative piece than the metrics just okay. because, you know, it actually actually reflects what is going on. So, I yeah. mean, my... I totally hear what you're saying. And my instinct is the same. And yet my whole career, I have struggled with ways to communicate the health of a community that was outside of qualitative, right? Like if I point to a post and I say, look, this guy really likes what we're doing. Our community is doing great. Of course, it's super easy to tear that apart and say, okay, but what about the thousand other posts? Like, what were they saying? Were they all saying, you know, whatever, this game sucks or this project sucks or whatever. Of course, the nice thing about qualitative is that, is that, you know, theoretically it's sort of, you know, more representative of, of the total truth. So do you Mm -hmm. have, do you have a technique for sort of communicating both? Like obviously communicating metrics is like easy, assuming you're collecting the right metrics. Do you have a technique for somehow sharing your feeling, your finger on the pulse of whether or not from a, sorry, I said qualitative earlier, I meant quantitative, but from a qual point of view, like whether or not something is, is, is healthy, whether or not something is going well. Yeah. I mean, uh, my strategy is to, I mean, there's kind of like, it's kind of like a range. It's not like qual versus quant. So my strategy is to, um, if I'm trying to convince somebody that this community is going well, overwhelm them with like the quotes from the actual customers, right? Like speaking okay. of voice of the customer. And then eventually, hopefully that will lead to like the more quant stuff. But there's also like a middle ground. 
Like for example, you can take a survey, like for, for a Reddit talk, we take a survey of the host of the room after each talk. Yeah. yeah. And then you can present like a middle ground metric where it's like, okay, um, four out of five people who host it want to host again. Or like you have some sort of NPS metric. It's kind of like a middle ground between the quant and quant. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And you just had a, a guest on a day or so ago, right? That kind of broke some records for you, didn't you? On on Reddit Talk, am I am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, we um we worked with Netflix and we invited Mary Elizabeth Weinstein to okay. to a talk in movies, and um yeah, we were able to reach like twelve thousand concurrent listeners. Wow. which um as far as i know is like one of the highest numbers that i've seen on okay. any platform that's great yeah. congratulations yeah thank you yeah so the reason why i ask in this this particular question is because when you have a community that is contained inside of a platform like say reddit mm -hmm. then theoretically reddit whether it be the moderator of the of the platform or 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 a product manager of the platform they're, they're able to extract both qualitative and quantitative analysis about the health of that community. Obviously, the moderator is probably going to be a little bit more on the qualitative side of things. Like if you asked a moderator, you know, whatever, how healthy is your community? They would probably use pull quotes and say, look, it's super healthy. Most of our comments yeah. are like this and a minority are like this. And if you ask a PM, they might be a little bit more on the side of, oh, well, you know, 32% of our users last at least seven days and that kind of thing. So a little bit more, you know, analytical and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. whatever the subject is, let's take, uh, uh, I don't know, among us. So let's take, you know, whatever. I'm playing a game right now on my phone. I've been playing it for a while. Marvel Strike Force, right? So Marvel Strike mm -hmm. Force, the Reddit for thread, you know, I, I, I'm part of the Reddit community for Marvel Strike Force, but I also... I'm part of the Facebook community for Marvel Strike Force. And I'm also part of a Discord community for Marvel Strike Force with my, with my group, yeah. my, my clan. So my Marvel Strike Force community transcends three different platforms, right? And I'm not deeply engaged on all of them, but it is, it is larger than any specific platform. So when you think about community, do you think about the, a community specific to a platform? Is there some way to think about community that transcends a platform? I guess that was that was the sort of question I was asking. And, and the answer just may well be no, in which case, okay, I get it. But as yeah. someone who's not tied to a specific platform, I often find myself thinking about, well, how do I weigh, you know, take Angry Birds for an example. How do I weigh mm -hmm. The, 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 the fan engagement of Twitter versus TikTok versus Reddit versus, you know, all of these sort of things and look at some sort of holistic community health metric. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not too sure about metrics, but I think, I mean, if you think about it, uh, let's, take, let's take Marvel Strike Force. I, I think in the beginning, who you're talking to matters less than just the topic. Like, just want to talk about the game or like which characters to use. And, you know, maybe if you're talking about it in a Facebook group, on uh, subreddit it doesn't really matter because you're mostly interested in the topic and the discussion mm -hmm. and then maybe mm -hmm. over time you start building some relationships with people and maybe you like team up with them yeah in a game or something and, and then i think that's when the, the person actually becomes more important and the connection becomes more important so and at that point you can just like connect with that person you know on some messaging app or like you, you can kind of kind of build your own community from these different communities that you're kind of talking about a topic with um, I'm not sure if that yep. makes sense. It's kind of like an evolution from focusing on the topic to the person. Yeah. Yes. No, absolutely. It absolutely does. And, and 
I, I think it's very interesting that probably, let, let me say this slightly differently and see if you agree with it. The stronger a community is, the more community interactions there probably are that you can't track because they're hidden, they're behind the scenes, they're in Snapchat yeah. or in WhatsApp or in some, some micro platform that is still, they're still doing it because they're part of your community, but it's not out in the open in some, in some highly trackable way. Does that, does exactly. that ring true to you? Yeah, this is why this is why you can't like you know grow X by thirty percent is is never is never um, it's just a proxy, you know. Yeah. So <laughs> I I think gut is also just as important yeah. as whatever metrics that you pick. No, I think that's I think that totally makes sense. Yeah. So you've written obviously on your on your Substack your blog community development and sort of keeping community close. And talking mm-hmm. to the community or the customers very frequently throughout the product development life cycle seems to be, like I said, a, a major theme for you. It seems to me like, you know, it's hard to find a PM who would say anything other than, you know, put the customer first. Like if a PM mm-hmm. is saying, I don't put the customer first, you, you might almost kind of wonder, like, maybe yeah. you're not like the typical definition of a PM. Maybe you're a, I don't know, technical PM or something like, but maybe you're not a standard PM. Yeah. Um, but I feel like you see things even maybe a step further than that typical PMs put the customer first. And, and, you know, again, you write a ton of book blogs and a book about it and that kind of thing. Are there some wins there that you want to share? Like just a couple of lessons learned over yeah. your career about keeping, keeping a really, really close contact with the customers, some sort of story from the trenches that might be fun to share? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, first, let me kind of go on a little mini rant, right? So, I love so mini I think, rants. They're, they're my yeah, favorite. Yeah, so I, I think, okay, cool. So, I mean, I think, you know, obviously PMs, every PM will say, okay, I put the customer first. But the reality is uh, for most PMs, they're, they're evaluated based on one, did they move a metric? And, and two, mm-hmm. did they make internal stakeholders happy? Mm-hmm. And theoretically, you would you assume that if you put the customer first, like those two things will happen as as well. But just the fact that um, you have, you're actually evaluated based on those two things means that most PMs actually don't put the customer first. Like they're trying to, game some sort of metric at the end of the quarter to meet some sort of OKR, or they spend all their time with internal stakeholders and they don't actually talk to customers directly, just like read some mm-hmm. research deck or like, you know, they kind of make some assumptions about customers, right? It actually takes a lot of effort. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from the perspective of a uh, larger company, like if you're like a startup and if you're a founder, you, you better be damn sure that you're talking to customers <laughs> just to survive. But a larger company, it actually takes a lot of work for the PM to, to actually talk to customers every day. You have to go through like mm-hmm. a lot of internal hurdles and you gotta like maybe like, you know, rub some people the wrong way to be able to kind of build that customer community. Yes. Um, so in terms of some wins, you know, when I was at Twitch, my favorite part about that job was building for the streamers because streamers are very active on yep. social media. Yeah. Uh, if you actually do something good for them, they will like give you a shout out in, in your stream. It's, it's like a very, visceral way to build products and um uh you know a, a lot of what i built i i, I built this thing called raids which, which is like basically just like letting people send their viewers to another channel at the end of their stream it mm-hmm. just came from like observing organic behavior that was already happening on the platform people are sharing links to their friends chat channels at the end of the stream and also talking to a bunch of like top streamers and kind of working with them to figure out how to actually craft the product but now you know what I realized, and this is how I like kind of evolved from customer first to community first. What I realized is that, yeah, you can have a bunch of one-on-one calls 
or like yeah. interactions with a bunch of customers. Yeah. But what's even more powerful is if you put a bunch of early adopters or customers into some sort of community, and then the key difference is that now they can actually talk to each other. Right? Yes. The fact that they can talk to each other, they build a ton of hype and they give like a ton of feedback to each other. And I don't have to like micromanage them. And I, I can just check in once or twice a week. And it, it feels like we're part of a um, team as opposed to me just like doing individual customer research. So it's incredibly yeah. powerful. It, it feels like I have yeah. a, yeah, it, it just feels like I have a, a network of actual customers who are actually supporting me on this product. And, and yeah. that, that feels great. You know? Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, I, you, Absolutely preaching to the choir. I am a, a total convert there. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day soon when I can share my own my own experiences with that this summer because I, I had a really fun experience doing that sort of community-led product development through through the summer months. Um nice. But uh I'm wondering what I mean, I use Discord, I'm wondering what you used, and you know, I I did a series of both um, sort of group chats, but also some more formal surveys to collect feedback. Are these the same sort of tools that you're using when you do this um, kind of community-led development? Yeah. 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 I've, I've used everything from uh, Discord to subreddits to Slack. Like those are the main, main tools. Mm-hmm. I, I don't keep it too formal. I, I mostly just like spend time hanging out with them every day mm-hmm. and you kind of get a sense of how they're feeling. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I very much agree. So. As a, uh, you know, whatever, as an expert in communities, expert in communities, um, and someone who has spent, I mean, a couple of months now focused on games. I, is that right? Six weeks, something like that? Your, your last four mm-hmm, or five yeah. posts have been about games, if, I, if my count is right. Mm-hmm. You've probably dipped your toe into a variety of different gaming communities. That's my assumption. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if there's any that caught your attention doesn't have to be just this mm. summer, just in general. Are there any gaming-specific communities that caught your attention as particularly inspiring, particularly mm. engaged, particularly active? Yeah, I would just love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, where you think gaming communities, some, some examples of, of interesting yeah. gaming communities. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I'll give you two examples. So when I was working at Twitch... Um, GTA Online, Grand Theft Auto Online was one of the more popular games, right? Sure. And uh, we had this streamer who like rolls through the ranks incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name, but basically he, he was a real life cop. Like, you know, <laughs> his main job was to like um, be a cop. And, and he, he just role played as a cop in GTA Online. And yeah, people, yeah, really yeah. Loved people really loved kind of getting pulled over by him and like, you know, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> So, used all the so right like, terminology yeah. and <laughs> it felt yeah, authentic. Exactly. So yeah, it felt like really authentic. So like um he grew his audience incredibly fast. And like I, I and that that was kind of like a kind of a eureka moment to me that like wow, mm-hmm. like um people can actually take their real profession into this kind of virtual world. Right. Interesting. Um the second example I would say is like I've been I've been getting to I've been doing some research on like Axie Infinity recently. Oh yes. Right. And um I, I got some axes from my friend and I started playing a game. And it kind of just feels like a, I mean, I'm very early, kind of just feels like a card kind of game where like you can like battle mm-hmm. other axes. But I think what's incredible mm-hmm. about this game is that it's gone beyond like the typical crypto bro kind of thing, thing into, yep, it's actually absolutely. helping people in Southeast Asia and, you know, these countries make a living online. It's kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe this is a bad association, but it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of like gold farming, except people are actually, you know, <laughs> making their own accounts. They're trying to 
yeah. they're actually making thousands of dollars every month playing this yeah. game. And I think yeah. that's pretty incredible. Yeah. yeah. I'm just going to take a quick tangent here to explain a part about Axie Infinity that I only recently became aware of, and I think maybe is important for this point you've just brought up. So Axie Infinity, yeah. if anyone hasn't heard about it, it's a, it's a play to earn game. I tried to start and I was like, oh, I'm going to buy some Axies. And I went to the marketplace and they were 250 USD per. So I had to buy three. That was $750 minimum investment just to get started. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, hold on. I don't know if I'm ready to spend almost a grand Canadian to play a game that, uh, you know, I don't really know how much I'll actually play it. So I kind yeah. of, I held off. But there is this model that Axie Infinity has sort of introduced. They call it the scholarship and the manager model. So scholars play and managers buy, I think, if I, if I have that right. So you can play Axie Infinity without necessarily putting that $1,000 upfront investment in. And my assumption is when we talk about these people in you know, Southeast Asia who lost their job as janitors and are now making a living full-time playing Axie Infinity, they're probably yeah. playing under that scholarship manager model whereby someone is loaning them an Axie that they're then hmm. grinding, earning money both for themselves as well as the person who loaned them the Axie. And that in and yeah. of itself, that relationship of trust, because it is trust, right? There are no guarantees right now inside of that model. That is a very interesting example of a pretty healthy community. I'm sure there are people getting scammed left, right, and center, but there's also yeah. thousands of people making money entirely based off of the trust of the person who loans them the axes to play with. Yeah, that, that's like a brilliant move. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, back in our wild days where there's these marketplaces where you can like, uh, you know, get people access to your account and they'll grind to level 999 for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, in, in this case, yeah, in this case, it's probably even a higher level of trust. Because yeah. I think once you give the axes out, they don't really have to give it back, right? So Yeah, yeah. and, and the, the person who owns the axes, who's accruing the currency, doesn't mm. have to give it to the person who does the play, right? That's all off-platform, mm. right? So it's like, okay, we I agreed see. on 50%. Yeah, I'll give you the 50%. You could just keep it, right? So there's a huge amount of trust there as well. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. interesting. And it's funny that World of Warcraft and gold farming comes up again. It, it's amazing how often in these conversations when I'm talking about sort of where gaming is going and the kind of future of entertainment, it's amazing yeah. how often the conversations go back to the past. But, you know, gold farming and World of Warcraft or early MMOs or that kind of thing as being so fundamental in terms of teaching the players of today how to think about this stuff, but also that there has to be a better way, which in so many ways is the birth of, you know, whatever, crypto and, and NFTs and, and, and play yeah. to earn and that kind of thing. Like, there's a lot of people I had, I had a great interview with Pierce Kicks and he got his start, you know, gold farming, right? Um, oh, so it's yeah. really, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When he was 12 years old, he was running a gold farming setup. So it's wow. pretty interesting how often gold farming is at the heart of these conversations. Yeah, it keeps going back. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about trends. Obviously, trends are a big deal uh, for, for me in my line of work and in this podcast. So if we look at online communities, whether it's in games or, or just general consumer products, it, it, it doesn't matter. Are there trends today that you're noticing? Are, are they moving more towards synchronous communities or more towards asynchronous communities? Are, like what, are there yeah. any sort of trends there that you think are kind of on the way up? 
I mean, I think when it comes to communities, the main trend probably is trend towards ownership, right? Okay. Where, where like um, the creator and the fans and the people in the community, they want to own their outcome instead Absolutely. of renting something from another Absolutely. platform. And this is where the whole crypto thing comes in. To be honest with you, the crypto thing is moving so fast that like I have trouble keeping up. Yeah. But everything from the NFTs to DAOs to like the social tokens, I think it's super interesting. And, um, you know, even big players like this Discord are actively exploring how they can enable this stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and uh, trend towards own ownership. And related to that, I think people are increasingly becoming like pseudo not pseudo anonymous. I think. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, I couldn't sleep yesterday because like there's this crazy, um, there's all these like animals pop popping up in people's Twitter profiles from uh, apes to uh, koalas to everything. And yeah, these are just like new communities popping up uh, mm -hmm. where people are, you know, they feel kind of affinity and identity towards a certain type of character and they don't, mm -hmm. you know, so the trend towards ownership, trend towards total anonymity, like all that stuff is tied together. Interesting. Yeah. I saw someone in yesterday in exactly one of those threads talking about how the NFT avatar is going to be such a powerful paradigm shift for NFTs in general. And that seems to tie into exactly what you just talked about. There's the digital ownership angle of things. And then also there's the, you know, whatever pseudo anonymity or sort of avatar side of things. And when those two yeah. things come together, there seems to be a huge amount of opportunity there as well. Yeah, it's probably a lot of scams there too, but uh, oh, there's some, probably some legit things going on there. Yeah. <laughs> can you uh, can you talk just very briefly about creator token? I mean, you mentioned it. Uh, I don't think I've done a deep dive with anyone on this podcast yet about creator tokens. I know that um, I know that Pierce Kicks mentioned it very very briefly. Ryan Gill also talked about it just very very briefly. But I'd love to just have you give you know a couple of minutes over to the creator token because it does seem to be something that's a little bit at the heart of you know sort of communities and and, and social. Yeah. I mean, I think the right terminology is really, it's, it's really like a community token. Like, okay. um, like a, I think a good example is Whale Shark. Okay. Whale Shark is a creator and he has a token called Whale. Yep. And that comes with like, you know, if you, if you get a token, you can be part of his Discord server. Uh, he also buys a lot of NFTs. So, you know, theoretically those NFTs back the value of the Whale to token. And, um, you know, people can, it's like a Whale community token. And people can use the token, they can trade a token. They can also use the token to vote on different mm -hmm. community actions, like right. you know, who, who they want to nominate as a community manager or like you know, yep. different kind of, um, it feels like a democracy, basically. <laughs> you can kind of it's vote. very interesting. Um, it's very interesting. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's, I think it's much more nascent than NFTs yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very early days. It's very early days. Yeah. But I can see it like taking off in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I, I am sure I would love to be a fly on the wall somewhere of, you know, Mr. Beast and, you know, his team thinking and talking about how they're going to use, uh, you know, creator tokens or community tokens. That would be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure to think about it. Of course. <laughs> and if yeah. they're not, they should. Yeah. Okay, so uh, just maybe a little bit about social audio. So obviously you're working on a social audio product right now. Um, Clubhouse was all the rage, you know, in whatever January, February, it kind of popped a little bit. Seems like mm -hmm. it may be flatlined a little bit. I mean, it certainly did for me. I haven't launched it in a little bit, in a, in a while, even though I was a pretty heavy user in the, in the early spring. Yeah. What do you think happened there? Is, is that a problem specific to 
Clubhouse? Is that a problem specific to social audio? Is that something that you are paying attention to uh, with your work at Reddit? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think, first of all, social audio is probably more of a medium for community connection than many other mediums like video or like text. Yeah. Because um, you can't really be a great social audio creator by yourself. You need to like talk yeah. to other people Absolutely. to be a creator, right? And um, yeah, like when I opened the Clubhouse, uh, there's a lot of like self-promotional rooms, like how I made a million mm-hmm. dollars, you know, crypto rooms. But I had an interesting conversation with someone else yesterday who's a longtime Clubhouse user. And mm-hmm. when he opens Clubhouse, he actually has a lot of rooms that are just his friends. So I, I think there's kind of like okay. an evolution where uh, when you get started on Clubhouse or social audio, you come for the con- content. You come from like the Elon Musk talk. You come yeah. from like these kind of big name talks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Eventually, yeah. if you if you want to stick around, you really have to build the connection. Uh, and I think uh, they're pretty mm-hmm. genius in launching this um, feature called the back channel. It's like a text DM feature. Mm-hmm. So that kind of helps you build a connection. Mm-hmm. So, so like the user journey is like you come for the content, you meet some cool people, maybe you talk to them on, on the stage, and then you start like a DM thread. And then eventually you decide, hey, actually, I want to make a room with this person too. So we start some rooms together. And then maybe eventually you form a club, which is their concept of a community, right? So I think mm-hmm. what really causes people to stick around in social audio is if they actually found the connection and the belonging. And uh, I think it just doesn't apply to Clubhouse, it applies to all platforms. So that's what the magic of social audio is, in my opinion, is kind of the connection it's not necessarily like the content because the content, like, you know, social audio can't really compete in pure mm. content with like podcasts or like Netflix. Yeah. So, okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. There's no right answer here. I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to throw you a hardball and just like, whatever you can dodge it. If it's, if it's impossible sure. to answer, what can platforms do then to help convert people from the top of the funnel, hey, come listen to Elon Musk yeah. to the actual stuff that matters, which is this guy over here might be a lifelong friend. How can we help get people through to the actual meaningful connections that are going to yeah. create the kind of engagement and retention on the platform that people like you and me deeply care about? Uh, <clears throat> it's a hard problem, but um, I think it's similar to what we talked about earlier with the Marvel game, right? Like people come in the beginning because they're interested in a top topic or a piece of content. So the platform needs to basically help people explore conversations around that topic. And then mm-hmm. once you explore conversations around that topic, you meet other interesting people. And then the platform needs to give people ways to talk to each other, either one-on-one or like in small groups. And then eventually the platform needs to give people a way to form a community around that topic or just like around their friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then once they have the community, that's when people really want to stick around because they come for the connection. They don't come for, uh, you know, Elon Musk or like some sort of push notification yeah. that, that you get. Yeah. But it's interesting. It's interesting that your answer goes to um, tools and platform, which I absolutely agree with. But I, you know, I wonder whether there's also a content piece of it as well. Right. The problem with the Elon Musk thing is I'm yeah. never going to get a chance to get up on that stage. So no one's ever going to get to decide whether or not I'm worth talking to because it's the Elon Musk show and nobody else is really invited, right? Yeah. So there's this probably a specific type of content whereby you're, you're, you're encouraging more people to be visible and therefore sort of encouraging more interactions, right? You're throwing 
more things into the soup, therefore more things can bounce off of each other and stick together. Whereas when it's the Elon yeah. Musk show, it's an attention black hole. So there's, there's that step of content that's needed after the Elon Musk show before the actual relationships can start forming. And that's a hard one, at least for me, that's been a hard one. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, I think this is why um, the, the text DMs and like some of the other channels that they open up is like so key. Because mm-hmm. you can have a side conversation while Elon Musk is on the stage, and you can continue to build connection that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, without actually being on the stage. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And it's mm-hmm. it's interesting. Just one more point about you know social audio. Like I've heard it said that the best room hosts are the ones who actually take up the least airtime. They're basically social lubricators, right? They are there yeah. to give the mic to other people. They are there to encourage more of these interactions. And I mean, you know, if I'm a running clubhouse or Reddit talks or whatever it is, obviously getting Elon Musk in to bring in the numbers is great. But then I want to find as many of those social lubricators as I can and get them starting up the channels, because that's the thing that's going to really drive all of those individual interconnections. That's super important. Exactly. It's it's the host. That's the number one customer segment. You have to make the host happy. Yeah. Yes. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about um, creators. This one can be quick if there's no specific meat here. Um, I guess I'm just wondering if there's a difference between creator-led communities, like so a community where, like going back to Whale, right? Like who's the leader? Well, you know, there's an obvious leader of that community, right? And everyone's kind of like there for that person. I'm wondering if you've noticed any differences between creator-led communities and non, like let's say, you know, whatever, uh, uh, Marvel Strike Force. Like Marvel Strike Force, there's no Mm. individual creator who's the heart of that. It's the game who's the heart of that. Do those communities operate in different ways? Um, I think there's definitely differences. I mean, basically in any kind of community, there's always going to be people who are more passionate about that community than more casual, right? Yes. So people who are like super active, you know, creator communities probably starts with the creator. Mm-hmm. And then maybe other people become creators in that community. But in a more topic-based community, there are still users who are super passionate. They post a lot more than other users. Mm-hmm. And they don't, they don't own the community, but they definitely contribute more to the community than other users. And I think yep. on a platform like Reddit, which is very much topic-led, it's, it's actually kind of gives me, <laughs> it's a little bit off topic, but kind of gives me faith in humanity because they're, they're just... They're just posting because they love the topic. They're not trying to build clout or like mm-hmm. you know, trying to you know, mm-hmm. make a lot of money. They just love the topic and just want to talk to other people about the to- topic. So yep. it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is, that is interesting. And, and obviously that sort of ties back to our health of community conversation, right? If you have a lot yeah. of people posting about a topic with no sort of direct incentivization, they're not they don't have a stake in the creator token or whatever it is. They yeah, just yeah. engage with it because they love it. That's probably a pretty good sign of a healthy community. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah. So now, uh, I guess, let's just talk about community dev for games. Like, so, you know, we make mm-hmm. a game and we want to have a community. And so we have a community dev and the community dev, you know, whatever, owns the Discord or maybe owns the moderators on the Discord or, you know, whatever. And I would say there are some... There have been some examples recently of really kick-ass community devs. Uh, I can't remember his, his handle, but the, the community dev of um, 
of uh, Fall Guys was outstanding. I mean, he was just amazing. He blew up all over Twitter. Everyone was just like, oh my God, this guy's a superstar. Mm. So there are some examples of like real rock star community devs. And then, and then there are some examples of games where, frankly, their community development is, is horrible. And it's like just nothing but conflict and nothing but, you know, radio silence and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So as a game developer, as a podcast that is trying to be about entertainment overall, but definitely has a bias towards games. I, I, I think it's probably safe to say that most of our listeners are in the game development industry. So I'm wondering mm. if you have any tips on community management to share for those mm. of us who make games professionally and maybe are not yet world-class at managing those communities. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not world-class. I'm, I'm still a, you know, learning as everyone else is. I mean, I think my tips are be authentic, and be vulnerable and just kind of like share, share a lot more mm -hmm. than you're used to sharing. I think, you know, just generally speaking, humans, people don't like people who boast about themselves or like, they don't like PR speak and like, you know, like a marketing blog post. Mm -hmm. uh, they just want to be part of the process. They want to feel mm -hmm. like they're part of what you're building for them. So if you're just like very genuine and very vulnerable and very honest about your struggles, that really res resonates with them. Like for, for my product right now, like I, I just tell them when there's like, you know, some bugs or like <laughs> some issues and, you know, the customers I build for, they don't mind because like I, I just tell them ahead of time, they know it's like an early product and they feel like part of the process. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they actually help me find all the bugs and the issues. They don't, they don't actually mind when the product is not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering just a, a sort of add on to that. Does that change when you start asking them to pay? Yeah, I think that definitely changes because they have much higher expectations. Uh, they're putting their money there. So at that point, you probably need to <laughs> probably have a better, more polished product and like a better experience for, for them. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you have a paid product, you can still get a bunch of early adopters to try it out for free. Yeah. See, you know, what, what, is, what it's worth. And then, yeah. and then they'll probably tell you uh, at what point they, they think this product deserves to, you know, charge. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I would mm -hmm. agree. I would agree with vulnerability and whenever possible oversharing. And I think even with a paid product, I think that's probably okay because I think they want to still, you know, with modern, you know, whatever games as a service or games as a platform or whatever, any sort of modern, you know, live software, I think it is a process, right? It's not like it's shipped and then we're done and we move on to another product. They know that this is going to be something that evolves over time. I think they want to continue yep. to feel part of that process throughout. Um, I do think, though, that, you know, as you said, as you start charging, the bulk of the community probably has certain expectations regarding, you know, kind of like how polished the overall experience is. You can still have that little sort of super hardcore who want to see things really, really early and you know, can be your, your, your beta testers and that kind of stuff, but they're probably managed maybe a little bit differently than the, you know, whatever the average, the average user. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. You said the M word. Um, we have to, uh, we have to do it. It wouldn't be a tomorrow with Rovio podcast if we didn't touch upon the metaverse, because it quite literally seems to be something that comes up in every single episode that I do. So <laughs> my question here was how do communities of today become the metaverse of tomorrow? Do you have any predictions of specific technologies that need to either be invented or massively adopted in order to get us from here to there? That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my, my perspective is like, you know, you and I are talking over, uh, you know, Zoom or the software 
like few few interactions of people feel as good as just kind of like meeting up in real life. Yep. You know, grabbing some coffee, taking a walk in a park. Yep. Like nothing online really kind of compares to that right now. So yep. I think the metaverse is really kind of just um, an evolution of community from chat room or Zoom based mm-hmm. to to kind of feeling like you can just like hang out with someone um, who lives across the world from from you mm-hmm. and hang out in the environment that you want to hang out in and have mm-hmm. it feel immersive. I, I think that's kind of what the metaverse should should be. I like that. And in terms of technologies, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be pretty hard, right? To kind of create that feeling of immersiveness. So I think you have to create like you know, those 3D virtual worlds. I think Roblox has like a list of like seven or eight different things mm-hmm. that you have to build to make it happen. Uh, everything from identity to immersiveness to like frictionless experience to trust and safety. Uh, there's a lot to build and <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see when it all comes true. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah and I, I, I think you're right. There are... There are parts of the building block that are there, virtual worlds. I mean, persistent virtual worlds are not new. Um, I think there are parts of the experience, that hypothetical, whatever, Ready Player One or whatever we want to call it, experience that our foundations are being laid. So, you know, whatever, voice chat, video chat is, is getting pretty good, is getting pretty seamless, pretty sort of one click. I think the sort of immersiveness, you know, the, the idea of like, I kind of put the glasses on and now I'm in the metaverse we're probably yeah. still a way away, ways away from, you know, this kind of form factor, having that kind of immersiveness. And I mm-hmm. think capture is a really big one. I have some guests lined up who, who I want to talk explicitly about the challenges of capture. Like, how do we capture voice? How do we capture face? How do we capture body? How do we capture environment? Mm-hmm. And then somehow project that into the metaverse is a very, very different challenge than you know, scene, right? The output is one side, but the input is a whole other side. So I agree that we're probably many steps away from that, you know, whatever glorious vision. Um, But it's very interesting to me to see how many of, you know, again, what I call the proto-metaverse, right? How many of these persistent worlds, these avatars, tech companies, um, these VR companies are all sort of working towards these you know, whatever potential pillars into that convergence. It is, it, it is definitely a very buzzy space right now. Yeah. I believe that the gaming companies will get there first because they, they always, they have the proto metaverses, they have the experience. And I I think what's different about you and and I getting coffee in real life is that in the metaverse, you know, if I want to meet you and watch a sunset in like Santorini or something, like I have to fly all all the way over there and like (laughs) do all this work. But in the metaverse, we can just make it happen with like a few interactions. Yeah, that, that is kind of what's really cool. Yeah. And how important do you think this is, right? So, you know, again, like everyone talks about that idea of like, you know, I'm in the real world and now I'm in the metaverse, right? Mm. And yeah. I think that was popularized by Ready Player One. Although, you know, if you go back even further to like Snow Crash, like it was still basically the same idea, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that the immersion inside that three-dimensional space needs to be directly into our eyes or will screens and maybe Mm. positional audio and maybe, I don't know, uh, message boards, like will other output methods continue to play critical roles in how people interact with this hypothetical metaverse, even if this is eventually possible, right? Even if I can eventually do this, Hmm. will screens still matter? I think, I think, uh, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but I think it either has to be 
directly beam into your eyes and like, you know, into your senses. Or you have this kind of like Star Trek kind of room where like mm-hmm. you just have screens everywhere mm-hmm. and like it can just create the world that you want to create. Like the point is it has to feel immersive. It has to feel like real life in, in some way. Yeah. Cool. I can't disagree. I don't know if I can agree. <laughs> I just, I, everyone has their own sort of vision of it. And it's really interesting to see all of the different lenses on this buzziest of buzzwords. But, um, you know, yep. maybe, uh, maybe Mark Zuckerberg will be right. And soon we'll be talking about Facebook, the metaverse company. Yeah, I think this one will actually last more than a few months because like, you know, it's, it's kind of far away. So you can't just like hype it for a few months and then like, yeah, exactly. move on to the next thing. No, there's a big commitment there. By saying Facebook is now a metaverse company, he really went all in on that one. So it'd be yep. very interesting to see how those chips fall. Um, that's the end of my questions. Listen, was there anything else that you thought this would be a good opportunity to talk about? I mean, any any other topics that are sort of close to your heart that uh, you, you, you want to rally on a little bit? Yeah, I, I think my main thesis and you know the point I want to emphasize is like, um, when you're building a product or a company, make your customers part of the journey and build mm-hmm. a community with them. And all of a sudden, you not only have your product team, you not only have your investors, but you have your customers actually wanting to see you succeed. And that Absolutely. is like a very powerful thing. So, yeah. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, Peter, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I wish... You and the team uh, at Reddit, all the luck. Uh, Reddit's got a lot of exciting things going on right now. So um, I can't wait to see what uh, 2022 brings all of you. And uh, I will uh, anxiously await whatever you publish next. I I love the way you write and I love the way your brain works. So thanks for sharing it with me today. Thanks so much, Ben. Yeah, it was a pleasure. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. And that's the end of another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. My guest today was Peter Yang, Senior Product Lead at Reddit. And as always, I'm your host, Ben Mattis. If you enjoyed this conversation with Peter today, please don't hesitate to check out his blog where you can get some really fascinating deeper dives on a lot of the themes we covered today, as well as many more. You can find his blog at creatoreconomy.so. Once again, that's creatoreconomy.so. And if you enjoyed this interview today, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. I love hearing from all of you about uh, which guests you enjoyed the most, which themes you enjoyed the most, who you think we should be talking to in the future. Uh, Your feedback is very precious, very valuable, and much appreciated. Regardless, have a wonderful evening. Have a wonderful morning. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And we'll be back in two more weeks with another episode.